Money is the pillar of civilization, and our money's broken. It's breaking down, it's crumbling. Hello there from Bedford, the Bitcoin mecca of the world. How are you all doing? You having a good week? Bloody Bitcoin, right? Keeps going up 60,000, keeps dropping back. What's going on? We all wanted to be much richer by now. It's bullshit, right? <laughs> uh, look, some amazing news. My podcast is the number one investing podcast in Great Britain right now. I cannot believe it. A moron from Bedford talking shit every week somehow has dislodged the BBC, Bloomberg, and the Financial Times. It's ridiculous. I can't believe it's happened. But thank you to all of you. Any of you who listens to the show or shares it out or whatever, man, thank you. Uh, it's a bit weird, but thank you. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, which I am now using exclusively for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with my buddy Brady Swanson from Swan, where we're going to be discussing his HODL FOMO thesis. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. First up today, we're going to be kicking off with Sportsbet.io, who I placed a little cheeky bet with this week. Yes, I put £250 on Liverpool to win, and they won convincingly 600 pound winnings lovely jubbly thank you very much although i did put a little bet on us against real madrid last night we lost very frustrating anyway i have convinced sportsbet.io to give away a lamborghini yes an actual real life proper badass lambo to one of the listeners of my show which is pretty cool we're working on the mechanics we will have an answer for you soon but you will have a chance to win a lamborghini which i think is very very cool now with sportsbet.io you do have every market you could possibly be interested in. They have football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They've even got esports, and because they're badasses, they accept Bitcoin. And for new customers, they also have a range of promotions available. To find out more, just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S P O R T S B E T dot I O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have Exodus Wallet. Now, I have been telling you about these for a couple of months now. As you know, fucking Lloyds Bank closed down my bank accounts. After 25 years of being a customer, they wrote to me and said, Pete, we don't want your business anymore. I'm going to give you 65 days notice. You need to get the hell out of here, which is bullshit, right? So I've increasingly been running my company on Bitcoin anyway. I get paid in Bitcoin. I pay people in Bitcoin. But my accountant, my lovely accountant, she is amazing. But she has been, she's been moaning at me. She's like, Pete, what's this Bitcoin you've been sending? And who you've been sending it to? And what's it for? And I was like, I don't know. So I had to get a wallet solution where I could audit and keep a trail of everything. And when Exodus reached out, I was like, okay, I like your wallet. I'm going to use this. So if you want to find out more, if you want to check out Exodus, please do head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Apple or Google app stores. And also, let's talk about Casa. Now, I know some of you have been making some good money in this bull run, and I bet some of you are morons and haven't got your security sorted. I bet it. I bet you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin on like one hardware wallet, which is stuffed under your mattress. Now, I was like that. I was a moron before. That's but to Casa. I was like, Casa, I'm a moron. Can you stop me being a moron? And they're like, yeah, we'll hook you up. So I became a Casa customer. It's coming up to a year now. I think it's about a year. And it's so cool because I am now protected from hackers, my own mistakes, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. And now, Casa does have a product for every Bitcoiner. So if you want to go simple, you can use their gold product. That's only $10 a month. And that's going to give you triple the security of a hardware wallet. You can get their platinum product, which is a three or five multi-sig, or you can go for Casa Diamond, the full service offering. That includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best in class in security. 
there is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. And if you want to find out more, head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, on to the show. And I have my buddy, Brady Swanson, on the podcast. And this is well overdue. I can't believe I'm like over 330 shows in and Brady's only just coming on the show. I love this guy. His podcast, Citizen Bitcoin, is amazing. He is one of the best interviewers out there. Every time I talk to him, we can just shoot this shit. I could do it for hours, never have a break. So I love this guy. And I can't believe it's taken this long to get him on. Now, a few months ago, Brady wrote this thread on Twitter about the HODL FOMO. He talked about how in this bull run, it's different than the previous one. Whereas in 2017, a lot of people were just looking at Bitcoin as a way of making fiat gains. This time, it's different. With the macro backdrop, institutions get involved. It's just a matter of time until we have a major nation state jumping in and no one wants to let go of their Bitcoin. So I asked Brady to come on and go through this. But to be honest, I don't think I looked at my questions once. I get on with Brady really well. So we just sat down and shot the shit for like nearly 90 minutes. Now, I do ask some pretty pointed questions and put some different ideas. So some of you anarchists will probably be like, oh, you're just being status cook or whatever on Twitter or shout at me or yell at me. But like, these questions need asking. I've got to ask some of these questions, even if you think they're dumb. It's important to explore these topics. Anyway, I really enjoyed this one. Always love catching up with Brady. Hopefully we'll be having a beer with him soon. If you do have any questions or feedback, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can just jump into my Telegram group. Outside of that, Defiance is taking a two-month break. It's going to be relaunching in June. It's going to be relaunched as the Hijack under the Hijack Media brand, which we're launching. Also, my email service, Never Edit, that's going to become Hijack News. But if you want to check that out now, that's it, neveredit.com, your daily dose of macro, Bitcoin, and tech. And as I said, if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. Other than that, have a great week, and I will see you all on Friday. Anyway, man, welcome. Thanks, dude. I can't believe this is the first time you've been on my show. Yeah, uh, it's it's been a while, man. You've been on my show a couple times. Uh, we've had fun hanging out. We got to hang out at Bitcoin 2019. That, uh, that piano did. bar party was kind of crazy, man. That was so good, man. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think I've... I think my show's finally got big enough to get you on. <laughs> yeah, man. I, you know, I had to wait until you really hit you the big time. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. It's, uh, I'm actually embarrassed I've not had you on yet. It's all good. Here we are, man. We've got a good topic to talk about as well. Yeah. We're going to talk about the HODL FOMO. Do you, know, do you know why I love this topic? Let's hear it. Because I think those two words together, well, I know, I know FOMO is like four words, but those two words together, they describe this bull market. I think so too, buddy. Everything that's going on in it. I was like, fucking hell, Brady. You've literally crystallized this bull market into two words. I love it too because it flips FOMO on its head, right? It's like, yeah, man. FOMO is all about uh, this, like, you know, I got to get in the game. It's it's hysteria. Uh, Hoddle's all about long term thinking and figuring this thing out, and and uh, you know, it's the opposite of hysteria. It's like level headedness and and patience. And uh, I love I love the idea of putting them together and flipping FOMO. Well, I tell you why I love it because I completely screwed 2017 up, right? If I if I had a, if I had a hodl FOMO 2017 mm-hmm. correctly, I would be very very wealthy. This bull market, um, uh, and I didn't. I traded the shit up, traded it down, and then what I've done for this year, I just stacked sats like everyone said, yeah, as much as I possibly can, and I'm just sitting through this. Yep, and like, like just. Calm, man. Zen as can be. It's a nice place to be. 
Zen. Yeah. Wait for that 20x and just sit through it. Yeah. And uh and like one of the one of the most regular questions that people keep asking me on, you know, especially in the comments on YouTube or DMs are like, you know, what price do you think the market tops out when you're gonna sell? And I keep going back and saying, look, I wish I knew. And like if I had a good indication, I maybe would sell a little bit. But realistically, I do not wanna I don't want to FOMO 2020, what are we talking about? 2025. I don't want to hit mm. 2025 and think, shit, mm-hmm. I sold the wrong time. I'm now hodling with a smaller stack. Right, right. I don't yeah. want that. No, I don't either, man. I, I lived the same thing. I had a lot more Bitcoin in 2017 than I ended up with. Um, trying to trade, you know, I, I told myself, I didn't figure out that Bitcoin was the thing. But I told myself, look, I can, you know, trade in and out of some of these shit coins that are pumping, catch the right timing. I was trolling like Telegram groups and Discord groups and trying to find like these shit coin whales that were, you know, like saying, all right, this is the next one. We're going to pump this one. And, uh, and you know, it never, I, never happened. I, I couldn't find those. <laughs> I couldn't find those little pots of gold. And yeah, you just, you know, you might hit a, a lucky a couple of times, but it's no different than gambling, you know, in Vegas. The house is going to win at some point. So I, I lost some Bitcoin. I didn't understand the taxes, you know, just t- totally raked over the coals and taxes. Uh, so yeah, not good. Lessons learned though. That's, the, that's how you forge a hodler right there. Mm, dude. I used to keep this spreadsheet. I used to keep this spreadsheet on my laptop and it was my Bitcoin. It was all my shit coins and what they were valued in Bitcoin and that what my total kind of Bitcoin holding was. And at its at its peak, my entire portfolio was like a hundred I think it was like a hundred and eighty-two Bitcoin, right? Are you fucking kidding me? No, dude. Like 182 Bitcoin. And that was, I can't remember the price. I don't, I don't think we'd gone over 6,000 at that point, right? Because I'd bought, I bought XRP at fuck all. I bought, I bought all these shit coins at nothing, right? And they just exploded. Like I had one, like, I think it's like an XRP position of about, let's say, I want to say like $500 that went to 30,000. I had so many things like that, like a big EOS win and blah, blah, blah. and, And so, but at that point, I was like, I'm going to be so fucking rich. And that's when I was like, okay, now I'm going to get into mining. And now I'm going to start up like a trading business. And now I'm going to buy even more shit coins. And then I wrote all that shit down. And then I had to pay my taxes. And I'm not going to say it all went because it didn't. But like, what, about 90% maybe more went. (laughs) And I looked back and I was like, (laughs) holy shit. I mean, what the fuck would that be worth now? Let's have a look. Uh, a lot, a hell of a lot. What? Where are we at now? Ten million, like sixty thousand. Ten million bucks. Yeah, ten point seven, point seven million dollars. Fuck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Ouch. You know, you know what though? You, you, uh, what I respect about about that is that you hung on. You like, you're like, you know, you didn't say fuck this. I'm out. You're like. I'm going to figure this thing out and I'm going to start, you know, the biggest podcast in the space and I'm going to hustle and uh, look what you've built, man. And, uh, you know, you're here for the long haul now. I think, I think you've, I think you've got that chronologically wrong though. <laughs> Cause that's that you, you've, you've made me sound like uh, a legend. What actually happened was I started the podcast during that period. Cause I was like, 
I'm going to start a mining company. I'm going to start a podcast, right? <laughs> and by the time I was going nearly broke, the only thing I had left was the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all I had. And I was just, and like, when I got near the kind of, there was one point I got to a point where I was like, my net, my total net worth outside of my house was $60,000, was it $60,000, right? But I, but I also had a £90,000 tax bill coming in. Uh, and I had my house, right? So right. my net position was almost negative. Uh, I think probably about even including my equity in the house because I didn't have a job. I couldn't get a mortgage. I don't know what it's like out in the US, right? I had to get a mortgage, right? So I yeah. spoke to the mortgage company and they're like, well, because you haven't got a job, you can't give one. So this is where I'm going to confess one of those other things. Uh, and people are going to hear it and they're going to be like, oh, fucking hell, Pete, you committed fraud again. Uh, <laughs> but I kind of, I kind of, told a lie to get a mortgage not a full lie i just kind of made out i came sent a letter from my employer about my job yeah and my job was what bitcoin did right right but i didn't connect the two that it was like just some shitty podcast i wasn't doing anything so i got my mortgage and and i was down to my last like sixty thousand dollars like of net like everything right it's not like sixty thousand dollars in the bank and then i just fucking worked <laughs> I worked. I nearly took a job at one point, uh, and then I got some checks for the podcast, and here we are. But like, it was it it was rough. And because I tell you tell you the worst thing about it is like, I actually had some good money when I left my agency job. When we closed the agency down, I had like a few hundred thousand, and I blew that shit during the bull market. You know, I bought a watch and a car and flew first class. <laughs> like, <laughs> probably moron. Uh, shit, I'm kind of doing the same stuff now, but like, yeah. Yeah, how's that so, Aston Here we are with a... <laughs> the funny thing is, I never know if, if it's like a marketing ploy or if you really got that Aston, you know? Like, I just can't, I can't tell because you're so good at, you're so good at doing that, that, you know, getting people riled up, you know? Um, and so I just, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> no. I, uh, yeah, no, I bought the car. Nice, nice. Yeah, um... Is that like a is that like a dream? Yeah, it is, man. That's all I give a shit about is cars, right? Like, I, I, you know, I'm I'm at that point where I should have moved house, and I was like, but I don't want to move house. I'm like, I'm okay with my house. I've got four walls and a bathroom, and I can watch the TV here. Yeah. I don't have a cool car, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the car. Uh, and but I did like post up the picture of it in the garage, like knowing full well that people would be like, what the fuck kind of carriage is that shit? <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Next up, the football like, team, the lawnmower. Yeah, dude, listen, that's the next... You know what? I've got an idea about that. I think I can make that happen. I think I can make that happen. Anyway, this is it's not meant to be about me, dude. It's meant to be about you. I'm just catching how's, up. How's, just how's catching it treating up. you? How's I know. How's this market treating you? Uh, great, man. I mean, yeah, like like we were talking about, I'm just zen. Watching this number go up. Uh, you know, I'm just busy right now living the dream, getting to work in Bitcoin full-time. Uh, so that's super exciting. And I... I'm just waking up and focusing on that, falling asleep, thinking about Swan. Uh, so it's basically Swan and family time right now. And uh, it's it's fantastic, man. I'm loving it. And it's fun to be, like, it was good timing. You know, we, we started about a year ago and uh, just kind of like had about six months at the end of the bear market and, uh, you know, build, build, build and kind of had heads down. And uh, then the thing kind of took off a little sooner than we thought. But as you know, I mean, like, number goes up in price, number is going up on all the Bitcoin businesses in every way possible as well. So 
we're just trying to like keep up and, and scale and uh, having a great time, man. We have such a fun team. Well, we'll talk about that. I mean, like, but you're right. Every number goes up, right? Bitcoin number goes up. Yeah. Your downloads go up. Yep. Your, your, e- your inbox goes up. Yeah. <laughs> your spams, your spam you have to deal with goes up. Yeah. Your you're, bullshit annoying people you have to deal with go up. All the people, all the scammers trying to impersonate you goes way up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I was having a conversation. I can't remember who I was talking to, to about it recently, but I was saying I actually prefer the bear market. Yeah, on I mean, almost every measure. The only the only two measures that I don't is net wealth and downloads, right? Because downloads is a measure of the business, and right. net wealth is a measure of the cool shit you can buy in the future. But everything else, I prefer about a bear market. Yeah, the the bull markets are pretty crazy, right? Like you you know, it's just a ton of work to do, which is which is good. I mean, it's good work. Like it's it's a good busy, it's a fun busy, uh, but it is nice to be able to like put your head down and uh, like actually work through some of the bigger projects, you know, that you had in mind to get done. Because once this thing comes on, you're just trying to keep up with you know incoming, and uh, there's not a whole lot of like long term projects that can be like you know really well thought out and executed. It's just like we got to get this thing out, even though it's half baked, and we're just gonna like build the you know build the engine <laughs> like while the plane is flying, and uh, you know it's it's fun. It's hell of a lot of fun. Uh, I'm you know I'm a kind of guy that like likes that environment. I like the startup environment. I'm not like a corporate drone cubicle kind of guy. I don't like that kind of like that routine. Uh, I want to have something different every day, wear a bunch of different hats uh, and just like grind with the team that I love. Um, so this is suits me very well. You guys are killing it as well. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just been a year. It's been an amazing year. We launched March 31st last year. So just over a year now. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's, I think there was just the market for, you know, a Bitcoin company focused on Bitcoin, focused on education and like not doing anything else, right? Just doing those two things because mm-hmm. you, you teach people what's going on here. They're going to buy it and they're going to buy more of it. And people are nervous and scared about what this thing is. It's, it's new. It's your money. It's your wealth. Like, uh, you know, we, we're onboarding a lot of boomers, uh, which kind of surprised us a little <laughs> bit uh, at first, but you know, it makes total sense now. And what they want is trust and understanding. And so, you know, having like a team that'll get on the phone and talk to you, or we're starting to do these series of webinars now, where you know we're just like send mm-hmm. an email, like, "Yo, you want to learn about Bitcoin? Uh, we're going to be here, and we're going to be doing these webinars every week. And you just jump in, and we'll give you a quick twenty-minute overview, and then you can ask any questions you want." We're doing the same thing on Clubhouse, you know, uh, literally just like walking people through the signup process and answering their questions as they go. And it's, it's been incredible. I mean, that's just what people need. They need to understand what's going on here, you know. Um, well, it's and- a bit like Pompa said, like Pompa said, all companies need to be, or is it need to be, or all companies are media companies? Like you need to be a media yes. company. And that's what Swan is. Swan is a media company that sells Bitcoin. No, exactly right, man. That was from the, our thesis from the very beginning was uh, be the media, you know, just uh, create all this educational content. And I think that's what creates a moat around a business like ours because everybody's going to be selling Bitcoin at some point. Like, and it's going to drive margins Mm -hmm. down. Uh, And so you can't long-term rely on that business alone. But what you can do is build a brand that's really well-trusted because you've created a bunch of educational content. You're really taking the time to like teach people what's going on. And that trust is builds a moat around your business and uh, hopefully will allow us to like be around for a while. I mean, I think we got in early enough on selling Bitcoin that that's, that helps too, kind of getting in a, a little bit mm-hmm. early enough. But 
and, and being one of the first Bitcoin only companies, I think helps. But yeah, yep. being the media and producing all that stuff helps build a, build a moat around the business. And um, that's been the strategy since day one. Well, I think it's been really impressive to watch from the outside. Do, are you? Do you publish any numbers? Do you talk about volumes? Are you being included in Coin Market Cap or anything? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we did launch a coin, Swan XRP. You can go to SwanXRP.com and check that out. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what I mean? When they have the, uh, you know, where they show the volumes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think we're on exchange volumes yet, and uh, we haven't published anything explicit. Um, but you know, it, it's definitely been growing a lot. I think Corey might want to publish it at some point. Uh, we've got tens of thousands of customers now. Um, the amount of Bitcoin we're selling has gone up a lot since we launched Swan Private and are taking in a bunch of entities. So I got to thank Michael Saylor for that, man. Like he really kicked off that trend. And so there's, there's this kind of niche for companies that, you know, the, the, the big like Nidigs of the world, uh, aren't, you know, really interested in like they're kind of small fish for them, uh, but they mm-hmm. need they need uh, you know they need to know what's going on. They need to learn. They want to talk to a human, and uh, so we've been taking on a lot of like mid size to kind of like you know just kind of transitioning into really big companies, and so that's really pushing up the volume of Bitcoin that we're selling um, per customer. So yeah, it's it's definitely taken off. Um, you know, we're we're hit profitability in like eight months. Uh, Corey's really good at like keeping, keeping uh, our run, our burn rate down and um, just being mindful of the long-term and just like Bitcoin long-term thinking. Like we want to make sure we're around, don't know when the bear market's going to come and we just want to be in a position to mm-hmm. survive it. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, Corey's just a proper businessman, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I've never seen a networker like Dude. him. Dude. Yeah. No, um, I met him first in LA and... Uh, the moment I met him, I was like, oh, oh shit, big shot here. And um, <laughs> But I, just watching watching him operate from a distance and seeing the moves he's made, it's, it's, been, it's been really interesting. Like, I don't know if this was him, but the, the, uh, the advisors and the, um, and the kind of swan team you assembled were, were all kind of like, it's like a little team of superstars, right? You know, all out there, networking, creating content. Like, it, was, it was impressive to watch. Yeah, just picked up you know, some of the, the best Bitcoiners in the space. No one had done it really, you know, just building a Bitcoin mm-hmm. company and taking taking the Bitcoin educators. Like everybody on our team, even like Jan, you know, he's he's written probably the best, you know, intro book on how Bitcoin works, the system works. Um, and, you know, he's he's our he's our CTO and co-founder. Uh, you know, Gigi mm-hmm. was on the squad for quite a while, written a book. He's, you know, he just moved over to CT, um, you know, with that billion dollar <laughs> Bitcoin startup. The Norwegian uh, family is, is just amazing. He's like employee one over there now. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like mm-hmm. <laughs> we always joke that our engineering team are like better writers and educators than the rest of us, you know? So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a cool team. Um, but yeah, man, like this, this market is going crazy. And I think things are different. I think things are different this time. That, I think and that's what, that's what we were, you know, you were getting into with the HODL FOMO thing. I wrote, I wrote this thread yeah, back on, back on November 13th, uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking to, to Preston Pish on Swan Signal Live about, about uh, escape velocity is what he was calling it, right? Uh, and and then uh, you know and then Dan Held wrote a piece that you know he talked about on your show the super cycle. He wrote that in like December, cycle, yeah, yeah. And so the idea has been floating around, and I, it's essentially I mean it's really simple. It's just that the 2017 run 
was driven by short-term retail trader speculation. I mean, they were denominating everything in fiat gains, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. And I think this run is being dominated by individuals and corporations and entities that are understanding that this is, you know, a thing to hold for the long term, that this is a hedge against the massive inflation we're seeing. And uh, they're denominating their gains in, you know, it, it, basically they're they're FOMOing into hodling, right? That's what I, I call it, hodl FOMO. They're FOMOing in. They're like, I got to get in here at the best price possible and start converting some of this, as Sailor puts it, this melting ice cube into something mm-hmm. that's not gonna, you know, be debased. Uh, and so that like fundamental understanding, that change, that fundamental change in the understanding of what Bitcoin is will, you know, create hodlers uh, with lots of, with massive means, right? Because like Sailor's not gonna sell any of his 100,000 Bitcoins. And they will then set this floor much higher, right? I don't think we're gonna see massive pullbacks because we're going to see people who understand what's going on scoop all that up, right? And so maybe at 50, 40%, they're going to be like, all right, this is a massive discount, right? I'm going to scoop this up. And all the people who are waiting for that 80% drop are just going to be left behind, right? Um, so, yeah. yeah. it's interesting. The, the the drawdown, will it happen? Won't it happen? Because like, yeah. we still don't know, right? I don't know how not. much yeah. of this is controlled by whales. I don't know if there'll be a bear market, a drawdown. I don't know... I've got a feeling we won't because I've I've got a feeling we've got a much deeper pool of uh, dip buyers, right? Yeah. So That's what I'm saying. yeah, I so, think so. Yeah, the, and I, I but I don't know, man. Maybe we do. Maybe we do, and it's a seventy percent draw. I don't know. All I know is like one of the things that's really hard is telling hot tops and telling bottoms. And if you don't need to spend the money, then it's best to hold it in Bitcoin. Uh, I've done it. I don't know how much you you guys keep your treasury or as uh, you as, know as much as we Bitcoin, can, but <laughs> as much as we do. can. Yeah, yeah. We do. I do. I do anything beyond eight weeks of cash flow goes yep. into Bitcoin. Yeah, and this is just a podcast, dude. And we, I mean, you got to be thinking most of most of the money we've been putting in Bitcoin now is essentially done anything from a four to a six x. Yeah, um, uh, and now we've got the capital to launch other brands, you know, to try other things. Just because we did that, we don't have yep. to raise venture money because we've held money in Bitcoin. Yep. But that's been that's been great. That's been really cool. But if there is a the, the only thing that worries me, if there is a bear market, like, uh, I have to think about what the drawdown is on the business reserves. That's yep. something I have to be really think about. Um, so I, it's more of a hope, dude. I just hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, I, you know, and it certainly could, right? I mean, it could be the same thing where, mm. you know, people like companies are watching their balance sheets, you know, talk about a melting ice cube, like melt away in terms of dollars. And they're going to go back to like, looking, you know, they're going to get out. Maybe there's a cascade again. And that's certainly possible. Uh, you know, th- there are funds and insurance companies, et cetera, that have bylaws that say that they have to, you know, rebalance their, their sheets. Mm-hmm. When you know that one asset gets to be a, you know too high of a percentage of their total investments, and so that's going to put some sell pressure on. Um, you know, there's uh, the the graphs that I've been loving to watch is the, just the precipitous drop in coins coming off exchanges. I do think Dude. part of that is an increase in people understanding that this is a thing to hodl, and they're pulling it off exchanges to put it in, in deep cold storage. But there are you know a lot more reasons to take your coins off exchanges in this cycle than there were 
in previous cycles. I mean, the, the you know the yield generating businesses are out there. People will take their coins off, trying to find you know seek some other yield. Um, the loan you know business, uh, Bitcoin backed loans out there. You got to pull your coins off exchanges and. and put those in as, as over collateralized usually and kind of lock those up. So that's another source of like, you know, a reason to lock up coins and not sell them. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm just seeing that trend. I, I know some of that, some of that is not for long-term hodling and some of it is, but it's a very interesting trend to see these coins being taken off exchanges in droves like we've never seen. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting things that sailors done. Like, fuck me, that guy's come through like a steam right, train. Yeah. Change the game, like unbelievable. Yep. Uh, I, like I don't agree with everything he says, but I've also watched him change his position sometimes. I'm like, okay, like he's still learning himself. But what a fascinating person to listen to. But the, the two things, the two really important things that add to the Hoddle FOMO narrative, right? Like, forget the billion, two billion he's he's gone and raised and spent on Bitcoin, right? My most favorite thing he does is that thing every month where they're like we bought another 250 Bitcoin with our profits mm-hmm. as part of our treasury strategy. I'm like, yeah. no, that's the really important thing, right? That's the yep. real message. That's right. the, it's not the massive, it's not the massive purchases, which themselves are super interesting and, you know, will most likely prove him to be a genius. But it's the actual, the keep stacking. Like, I call it million dollar cost averaging, right? He's just like, keep stacking, keep stacking. And like, those amounts are quite small compared to the big stack, but he keeps stacking. And like sometimes, I don't know if you ever have it, you think, oh, we're in a bull market now. What's the point in stacking anymore? Because it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's only, a, it's only like $300 this week. What, what, what's that even compare? How's that even like make a dent? But you should be. In, it's, it's the, so that's the first thing. But also he's been like instrumental in this narrative of the kind of Pierre Rochard speculative, speculative attack that yes, yes. you shouldn't be spending your Bitcoin. It's a pristine asset. You should be borrowing against it. Yep. And he's fucking right. Yeah, man. And both of those support the HODL FOMO, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the thesis of, of the HODL FOMO is definitely strengthened by this macroeconomic environment. I, I would I would not think that, and I didn't before all of this stuff happened, the, the economic response to COVID, uh, that you know this cycle would be any different than 2017 in terms of just, uh, you know, there, there's still a, a big information asymmetry between uh, people who have been studying this thing for a while and people who are going to be coming in. But with the, you know, monetary policy, like just the massive amount of money printing, and we're looking at printing another $2 billion, right? I mean, these are, these are like just kind of steps toward uh, a UBI, right? And, and uh, modern monetary theory, they're out there uh, just doubling down on this idea, this conceit, <laughs> this you know, this that they can manage this economy by they can print whatever they want and and manage the purchasing power of the money uh, over time with you know yield like curve control and and interest rates and all that stuff. Like it's it's never happened in the history of the world. They are convinced, they're utterly convinced now that they can do it, right? We got smart enough. Like we understand enough now so we can actually do it this time. Um and I, you know, it's it's just not going to end well. Uh I was I was talking with Max Kaiser the other day on on Kaiser Report and mm-hmm. I, I was like, look, UBI might be the best thing for us to transition to a Bitcoin world because these guys have been, you know, the rich, the richest of the rich have been benefiting from this monetary socialism, this money printer, the the cancel on effects. 
where you know you're closer to you are to the money printer, the more you benefit. That hey, just like throw a little bit our way, you know, toward the end of this this collapse of this money, uh, and and maybe we can you know buy <laughs> buy some Bitcoin with it and have a little bit fairer distribution because these big banks are coming in now, and I think you know they're gonna be they're gonna be taking that money, that cheap money from the printer once they wise up to what's going on, and they're gonna be like, oh, all right, this thing's going up, and this is the better money. And, uh, you know, we're going to, in Gresham's Law, we're going to drive it out uh, and, and we're just going to buy up everything that we can. So um, I, I, I see that happening. And I think that that has been pulled forward from the future massively uh, with this economic response and this idea that like, yeah, like we, we got this under control. We can print however much we want. What was that guy's name? Khashoggi with the, with the eyes, like the, the crazy eyes wide open. He's like, he's like the, the, you know, the Federal Reserve has infinite cash, right? When whatever that's like CBS interview was and that meme goes around, like they believe this, man. Well, they're all from the church of Stephanie Kelton. Yeah, yeah, you interviewed her, right? I did. She's yeah. pleasant. Um, yeah, she's uh, a nice, I always she's think a nice so- person. I think she made me look smart sometimes, which always concerns me. I think if you make me look smart, there's, there's something fucking wrong with you. But like, she couldn't even ask, answer some basic questions I put to her. Um, yeah. Uh, look, I understand if 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 you're not a Bitcoiner, right, and you're just in that world of Keynesian economics, I can see how can you could rationalize uh, mm-hmm. MMT. I can see how you can rationalize it because they've done it for so long. They've printed money exactly. for so long. And the economy keeps ticking. Well, and they they've spent they spent decades building up this uh, you know this academic tradition justifying these ideas. So like they've minted all these PhDs, you know, economists, mm-hmm. and given Nobel prizes to them, and they they're stuck in you know their ivory towers of these Federal Reserve banks, regional banks, and the you know the main Federal Reserve, central bank, and they. They just really, really believe that they know better than everyone else and that they will be able to make this work. And, uh, you know, like Daniel DiMartino Booth, she was she was like the right-hand analyst for um, the chair of the Dallas Fed in, the, in 2008, in 2009. And he was actually the, the only Fed chair, regional Fed chair, to uh, express some dissent and doubt about the approach, the quantitative easing approach, right? And uh, and she writes in her book uh, that it's it's incredible how convicted these people are about their own ideas and about their ability to manage uh, the global economy. And uh, that, you know, I asked her once, like, do you think that they get it? Like, are they starting to understand? And she's like, no. They're just they're just complete like zombies to these ideas. Then uh, there's like so much skin in the game that they're never they're not going to change their minds until it smacks them right in the face, you know. And then you know, yeah, I don't know, man. Well, yeah. listen, I, I I keep referring people to Jonathan Haidt's book, the the Righteous Mind, mm-hmm. because the, the thing that sticks out in that to me is not the left free right thing. It's the more the fact that we take a position then we post rationalize it, and I just think that's that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Like how. Even even if Stephanie Kelton had some doubts, how does she come out and go, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, fuck, I got this wrong. Yeah, MMT's bullshit. Yeah, We're basically right. blowing up the economy. How does she do that? Her whole career is built on the idea of MMT. She's a published author based on this. She gets speaking engagements based on it. There is zero yeah. incentive for her to, to, uh, to you know, objectively review her own thesis because you know, she's, she's economically aligned now with MMT. 
And I think that happens with a lot of things. By the way, I also think Bitcoin is sometimes completely guilty of this. I think sometimes we we don't always look objectively at our own thesis because we're also economically sure. aligned. I just think that happens, right? But sure. the, the the MMT thing, I mean, it's just, I think it's worse out in the US, by the way, than, I mean, we've got massive debt here in the UK and we're definitely seeing inflation. And, and the real inflation is very different from the uh, reported inflation. But I think you've got a much bigger problem out in the US. Like, I feel like you guys are are living in a reorg at the moment. <laughs> you've got rather than a block reorg, mm. you've got a state reorg. Like I keep speaking yeah. to people who are leaving New York and San Francisco, and uh, some people are leaving the country, and yeah, you know, it's a bit of mm-hmm. a shit show. And, and the 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 money printing situation is just I can't I can't get my head around these numbers. Like the one point mm-hmm. nine trillion, and now like Biden's talking about was it another three trillion? It's like what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Uh, it, you know, those numbers uh, in 2008, the the bailout numbers uh, were 700 billion, right? And like, they couldn't, they, that that was astronomical. That was mind-blowing. Hold on, was that the no total number in 2008? That was the first bailout. Yeah, it was $700,000. In 2008? That they, that they asked for. Yeah. 700 billion? Yep. Sorry, yeah, seven hundred billion. Yeah, Is that what I said? Billion. Yeah, seven hundred billion. Yeah. Wow, it just doesn't seem that much now, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it is fascinating, and, and I was just re-listening to your episode with Brandon, uh, with Brandon, Brandon Quidham, and no, you know show. how he studied. Yeah, it was an awesome show, man. Um, how he studied the the fourth turning, that book by uh, Neil Howe, and. This is, I mean, it, it, it's, it's right on time <laughs> for this sort of uh, breakdown of an, a massive distrust in central centralized institutions. Uh, and, and I mean, I, we feel it here, man. Definitely feel it. I think a lot of, a lot of the world is feeling it. Uh, but it is fascinating to happen here. It's humbling, right? This is the, the American empire, the American dream. This is where we grow up and we're, you know, fed that this is the, the greatest country in the history of, of the world. And you're, you're lucky to be here. And, uh, you know, just your, your birthright is a, is a home and a car and a, and a good job and and an easy retirement and, all that stuff. Um, it, it just goes along with with um, just the the hubris uh, that comes along with, you know, we can manage all this money and we can run the world and we know exactly what we're doing. Um, and and we're watching this play out, man. Um, I you know another thing I want to talk about is like how I see, and this is the tagline of my show, you know, the dawn of the Bitcoin Renaissance and how I see this happening, how I see it playing out, but. The first part, you know, of the dawn, the dark, the darkness before the dawn is is the fall of the money and the end mm-hmm. of the empire, and um, money is the pillar of civilization, and our money is broken. It's breaking down. It's crumbling. Right? Uh, we use money to communicate to each other our needs and wants. Right? And if you distort that that signal, that that language. Uh, then we can't accurately get that stuff, you know, uh, those messages spread around uh, the society, right? So when we've had eras of uh, fiat money and we've had eras of of sound money, it's very clear what happens, right? So if you look like, look at, um, and I kind of studied this a little bit, right? The fall of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was absolutely like massive part of it was the debasement of, the main currency that was circulating around the economy, the, the denarius. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a gold coin called the Arius. 
uh, but that was, you know, too valuable to be used every day. So like your everyday Roman would be paid in the silver coin called the denarius. And so when Julius Caesar first started minting them, um, they had this, you know, they were pegged to the aureus. The aureus itself had started being debased. All right. So it was like eight grams of gold. A uh, hundred years later, it was six and a half grams of gold. Another hundred years later, it was four and a half grams of gold. So that base money was also was being debased, the, the, the core money, right? But then look at the the dollar the denarius uh, based on that right like it, all of that just kind of pales in comparison. Um, so it, the denarius, like I said, was the backbone of the Roman economy, and so the citizens were earning this money right. And the denarius began as a four and a half gram silver coin, and it stayed that way for centuries, which was really the again the foundation of the Roman civilization right. It, it really flourished, as we know. It was the greatest empire of the time, right? Um, and But after that, things started to crumble uh, because they started adding in like base metals like copper, blending in, and they were, there was coin clipping going on. So it went from containing like 90% silver down to 70% in a century. A century later, it was all the way down to 5% silver by 350 AD, all but worthless, right? Um, and then there was economic chaos, from the hyperinflation and and Rome went from this shining city of a million people all the way down to like 50,000 people uh, because everyone, everyone got the fuck out because it was, you know, it was completely crumbling. And like the phrase, there's a phrase, uh, bread and circuses, right? This idea they they call it bread and circuses. And it was from this, this Roman poet. And the idea is, and we still use it is like these offerings or benefits and entertainment from governments to placate discontent, to distract from, you know, this policy situation that, that the government has, you know, basically ruined the country with or the empire with. Uh, was, that, so was that the year of decadence? Same thing, man. Yeah. Was that yeah, the, yeah. You know, it's like, you, it's um, like, you know, big, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, have, have you like compared the fall of the Roman Empire in detail to what's happening right now? Like when they were coin clipping, I'm assuming it was because what, greed, was it greed within the the mm-hmm. Roman Empire, like within the, essentially the Roman governance, or was it because they were you know making mistakes and trying to pay for things they couldn't afford, paying for wars? Like I've never studied yep. it. What actually happened? Yeah, man, it was just uh, again human human hubris. Like they they just wanted to expand the empire, right? right? And so in order to do that, they debased the money. They debased the gold too, but that was the money they were using for like international trade or like you know trade across. Uh, long, like large distances, and and to settle, you know, like um, big, you know, uh, big transactions. So they debased that a lot slower. That was the money they were using, right? Right. Um, but they realized, you know, taxes were unpopular, just like they are now. People would, you know, definitely throw throw fits about about uh, being taxed too much. They they found out. They realized, look, we can just start taking silver out of the coins, put some copper in there, clip them, and uh, well, that's basically a tax, and they don't even see it, so no one gets upset about it. And it funded the expansion of the empire, and uh, it just completely collapsed. It's the foundation when you're doing that uh, of your empire uh, just crumbles, and that's what we're seeing right now in the United States. Like the dollar. Uh, in, ni- in 1913 purchasing power, the US dollar now is like worth a, a, a nickel, right? So it's like, it's the exact well, same thing happening again, right? Is it's there up. Uh, any recommended reading you've got on the uh, fall of the Roman Empire? I feel like I need to read something on this. 
Well, the the stuff I found was just really a bunch of like essays on the internet. Yeah. Um, and I, I Google that shit. This I've been I've been working on a piece for a long time, but it, like uh, it's just you know it's hard to get time to focus time to write with with so much mm-hmm. going on. Like again, the bull market thing is just so busy. But um, I'm I put together a nice list of resources, and uh, I did I do have a book that I'm listening to right now about the Medici's. Um, so that kind of like gets to kind of the the renaissance uh side of it the compare the historical comparison to the the era that i think we're heading into now um but yeah the what's that book called before i go there what's that that it's just called the medicis yeah i'll send it to you but i think it's just called the medicis i don't know i can't remember what the subtitle is called ascendancy Uh, medici chronicles book one let's see the medici uh by paul stratheran and it, there's definitely some stuff about, you know, the the advent of the florin and international trade and how that really mm-hmm. built up the, uh, you know, the Renaissance uh, era in Europe. Um, but it's also, there's some fascinating stuff about like politics and, and betrayal and like all kinds of cool, cool stories about like the, the Medici family and, uh, you know, basically holding like, <laughs> holding, uh, you know, power over the papacy because they were like the, the, um, the papal powers, like basically borrowing money using the Medici's as their bank, uh, and like all the power they wield. Anyway, it's fascinating stuff. Next up, I talked to Brady more about Hoddle FOMO, but before that, I've got a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, we're going to talk about Ledger. We're going to talk about hardware wallets. Now, Ledger was the first hardware wallet I ever used. I bought my Nano back four years ago now. Maybe it's even just slightly more than four years. And I still, I have, I've still got that device today. I still use that device today. Okay, I'm going to tell you why I like Ledger and why I've continued to use their device. It's mainly down to easy use. Okay, firstly, the device itself is really easy to use. And obviously, it survived four years, so it's robust. We know that. But also, with the Ledger Live software that connects to your Ledger, it makes it so easy to safely manage your Bitcoin. Now, if you're also an Android phone user... You can manage your Bitcoin on the go with your Nano S. You can connect it to your phone, which is pretty cool. Now, I am a big fan of the product, but if you want to check it out, please do head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, I'm welcoming Gemini as my new exchange sponsor. Big thanks to Tyler and Cameron for supporting the show. Now, this is who I am now using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. But really, it's just buying, right? Who's selling their shit right now? You should not be selling your Bitcoin right now. I'm not. I am just using for buying. And do you know what? I've been so impressed with everything from Gemini. Firstly, just impressed with how much Tyler and Cameron want to support Bitcoin. I've had very frank and open conversations about the Lightning Network, sponsoring devs. And they're like, bring it on, Pete. So that's very cool. Very, very cool. But also just very impressed with the product, with the Gemini product. You know, I've signed up on their website. I've now got the app. I've set up my repeat buys. I've been dipping in and buying some dips. And do you know what? It's so easy to use. Just go and download it and try it out. You'll see exactly what I mean, how easy it is to start buying Bitcoin on their app. But if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And lastly today, my friends Zach and Flory over at BlockFi, it's coming. It's going to be here soon. The BlockFi Rewards Visa credit card. I cannot wait to get my hands on this. How amazing will it be that with every card purchase, you can stack sats? Pretty cool, right? Now, I did tell you about this before Christmas, 
and we're now here in April, but they have opened up the waitlist to everyone. So even if you're not a BlockFi customer, you are eligible to join that waitlist. And they will be given a 1.5% rewards rate in Bitcoin on all those car purchases. So if you do want to join the waitlist, please do head over to their website. It's BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Do you not find like... Do you find this like enough, not enough time in the day, right? So like, I am still working through the really? sovereign individual. I'm also uh, reading the anatomy of fascism. I listened to Nick Carter with Lex Friedman the other day. So now I've downloaded the three body problem. I did an interview with Julian Assange's brother and father. And so I've got Julian Assange's book on cypherpunks. I've got podcasts coming out of my ears I want to read, uh, I listen to. Yep. Uh, I just, I'm like, I need some more fucking time. <laughs> I need longer I know, days. Oh, dude, and, I, and, and then... Anytime I interview somebody, everyone's so fucking smart and they seem to have read every book I need to read. And I'm like, where does everyone find the time? How's everyone doing this? I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. There's, I, I think there's just people whose brains work faster and they can process stuff a lot faster than mine. But yeah, I, it's, it, it's amazing, man. Bitcoin mm. is in, in just that rabbit hole and it leads to all of this uh, study, you know, like you, you just list off five books that you, you know, have heard about and you want to read in the last, you know, four weeks or whatever. And that's, that happens month after month after month. Um, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. I started uh, going walking. I started walking now just so I can listen to audiobooks. Because I, I, I find yeah, I get man. through a book quicker as an audiobook than I do reading it. I don't know if you do have it, but when I'm reading a book, sometimes I'll, I do that too. I'll be after... I do like 10 pages and I'm like, fuck, I didn't take any of that in. I don't even know what I've just read. I have to go back. Yeah. I find with an audiobook, I listen to it better. So I just go out and you go walk for an hour or two every day to just try and try and get through some of this shit. But it's like trying to keep up with everything is there's too much, man. I don't know how other people do it. I'm just I know, I and then you. you get someone like Nick, Nick Carter, he does this. He also runs a fund. He is a guest on podcasts, and then he does these epic like essays that he writes. I'm like, what how does this guy find all the time? Incredibly productive, man. And Breedlove, Breedlove, you know, has read everything and then produces incredible essays. And uh, yeah, there's there's some amazing people. And I like, I, I think, uh, you know, this era will be studied in history uh, pretty closely because it's going to be a massive pivotal point in, in you know in human history. And uh, I think all those guys, you know, that we hang out and talk with, and and women too. I mean, just people in this space. Uh, will be, you know, written in the history books. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and it'll be it's just kind of a privilege when you sit back and think about it to be here and to be hanging out and learning from these people directly. Yeah, I was talking to John Vallis the other day on Twitter about we just DMing each other and I was saying like how lucky we are to be living through this and at the front of it. Yeah. I feel so fortunate to talk to all these amazing people. They give me their time and patience to talk me through these, these ideas. But, yeah. you know, it's funny... You, you go to school, right? You study history, and you hear about World War One and World War Two, and then you, you know, you hear about the fall of the Roman Empire, and but you never think, like I never like put myself in the shoes and thought, wow, what what would it have been like to be a Roman at those times? Um, mm -hmm. And I think you you come a little bit kind of I don't know complacent, and you just think what you're living now will be forever, right? You just think, I think every, anything drastically is going to change, but actually. You know, in a decade, the world could be a very different place, like entirely different or two decades. And we're living through that. And, you know, it might be bloody, it might be messy. We don't know how this is going to play out, but we're living right through it. And like yep. you say, they could write about this in the history books. You know, this with the period of time when money changed and everything else changed. And I don't know how it'll be written because I don't know how it's going to play out. 
I don't know if the theory of the sovereign individual is correct or whether we'll see the states fight back, whether we'll see China, China take over and we'll all become subservient to the Chinese. I've got no idea how this all plays out, but we're living through it. Yeah, it's and it, that's what I love to think about, right? That's what we do these podcasts for, is to think about all this stuff. One, we we try to learn from the history, but then, you know, two, we try to figure out where we're going from here and what it all means. And um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's the part, you know, that the second half of this piece I'm trying to trying to get out of my head is is the dawn of the Bitcoin Renaissance. And so what what happens from here, right? So, you know, obviously we think Bitcoin's better money. Um, and I think that we, we made it clear through history that we converged on gold as the best money. And I think during the Renaissance, the, you know, one of the main reasons, right, was that we had this very solid foundation to build it on. The florin was the, the main money for international trade and, and the main settlement layer, essentially, for 300 years. And it's amazing that you know, several families somehow had this knowledge that you couldn't debase the money if you wanted to maintain a, a healthy economy over a long period of time. Uh, that that amazes me. I'm absolutely in awe uh, that they were somehow able to resist that power for 300 years. Um, they, re they attained a lot of power regardless. And I think they had this sort of long-term thinking that if we want to maintain this power for the future and for our, uh, you know, for our heirs, like we've got to, you know, maintain the integrity of this money. And so the florin was, you know, trusted for because it had spanned generations. You know, think about the middle two hundred years, right? All of those people who lived at those middle two hundred years never knew a time where the florin wasn't good money, right? Could you couldn't trust that the florin was going to be worth, you know, the same amount. 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. And uh, that's what we've been talking about. Austrian economists have been talking about, you know, that we're, we're all learning because Bitcoin's teaching us that this is the nature of money. This is the true nature of money. And this is the way it needs to be if you want to have a flourishing economy and human society and be able to communicate those needs and wants back and forth to each other and have efficient solutions delivered and then, you know, decrease the, per the, the cost, the relative purchasing uh, cost of those needs and wants solutions over time, right? And then we can all move up that Maslow's hierarchy of like, we have our basic needs met and then eventually we just have this time to uh, to pursue our dreams, right? And something really interesting, hone our crafts and you know produce art and architecture that's gonna take 10, 15, 20 years because you know the money's gonna be there to uh, support the project 50 years from now and you can just hand it down generations um, to to build something like that. You can't do that now at all. You can't plan a project for 15, 20, 30 years in the future and and use, you know, like have a, a set of capital of dollars that you're going to just like say, all right, here's what we need to build this project. I'm just going to set it here. I'm going to fund it with this money. Uh, you know, let's say like some patron like the Medici's. I'm going to build this cathedral. Here's the money for it. You know, this is how much I think it's going to take. And then 50 years from now, they're still pulling from that same fund. It has the same purchasing power as it did, you know, when the project started. Like, you can't do that. Uh, so I, I think what we do moving forward is we have, we can start thinking that way again. And what's interesting now that was different then is that we've got this deflationary, exponentially advancing technology, right? So 
we're living in this, you know, there's, you think of like the X squared sort of asymptote, right? Mm -hmm. of, the, of the basic, that basic graph. We're right there on that, uh, on that elbow. And as Jeff Booth talks about, he has that great visualization of like folding uh, paper, you know, and how long, how many folds does it take for the paper to be wide enough to get to the moon? And it's like 27 folds or something like that. And, you know, it just it blows your mind. That because our brains can't think exponentially. So we're <laughs> I living tell at this time. I think I, I think it's not that. I think it's 50. I think it's 50. And it okay, to, something like 50 that. 50 gets you to the sun. And, and to I the get sun, the piece right. of paper out. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, how many times do you fold this? And they do it seven. I was like, and then I say, like, how many folds do you think it gets to the moon? And they're like, yeah. eight million or something. And I'm like, it's yeah. 50. Yep. And they're like, yeah. I mean, they don't say bullshit, but they're like, bullshit, dad. I'm not having it. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it does. So then we end up getting out a calculator, right? And we we get the the width of the paper. And we, then we start like we do on the calculator. And I'm like, here you go. And they're like, no, I can't. They still won't believe me. Yeah, you're right. 50 times. Yeah, there it is. 50 times, yeah. I just looked it up. 50 yeah, 50 times. times. It's crazy. So we can't, we just don't think that way. Um, but we're on, we're, it's happening. We're living through it right now. So... Uh, you know, one this there's a, a scene in one of my favorite movies called Waking Life, which just like totally blows your mind. It's just a a set of uh, scenes of discussions um, that Richard Linklater had with people, and so he sort of it's like this kind of autobiographical movie, and it's real trippy. It's like it's like animated with like 50 different artists or something, and right. it, it's a cool movie, it. and you should check it out if you haven't yet. Um, but there's a scene where he's talking with this sort of philosopher and. He's talking about the telescoping evolution of humanity. And he's like, look, you know, we had, uh, you know, X amount of time for life to, you know, emerge, like 2 billion years for life to emerge, 6 million years for the hominid to emerge, 100,000 years for mankind as we know it, 10,000 years for agriculture, 400 years for the scientific revolution, 150 years for the industrial revolution. You know, what have we been like 30 years for the information age, the digital revolution. And so it's just telescopes. And we are at that point now where this stuff's going to be happening. These like, just like massive human advancements, evolutions in the way we live uh, our lives, in the way that our bodies work with biohacking and merging of man and machine. Uh, that, you know, this is going to be happening every 10 years, five years, one year. And, you know, with AI and all accelerating it, like it, it, the idea is we're going to get to be this like kind of superhuman, right? Uh, this neo-human. And um, we'll have this sort of new individuality. There'll be this, this, this new consciousness. Uh, the ampli you know, I think he talks about the amplification of the individual. And this gets back to the sovereign individual idea, right? Um, that before the old evolution was like this kind of cold, sterile, efficient biological evolution um, and, and that manifests like these social adaptations because of the way that evolution worked, right? Um, and so you would get these sort of the moral expression of, of that process was like, you know, competition, parasitism, uh, dominance, force, morality, war, uh, just because that's the way our biological, you know, evolution happened too. It was just like a battle and the survival of the fittest. Um, so in this sort of new age where we don't have those, um, we don't have to do that anymore, right? Because we're, we're sort of these like uh, evolved individuals uh, to it, to like this new level um, that those kind of things will be subject to de-emphasis, right? Um, and then the new paradigm will have like these 
will really lift up these human traits, right? Um, that we have aspired to for a long time, but have had and been working toward over those, you know, 100,000 years of like truth, loyalty, justice, freedom, you know? And that will will be able to attain that finally um, in this like kind of neo-human. It's crazy. And then Bitcoin I'm not just- I, it, I'm not either, dude. I'm not either. It dude. blows my mind. It scares me. But Bitcoin uh, fits right in with that. It fits right in with that. It's the kind of it's it's that deflationary money that supports that kind of deflationary technological advancement and exponential technological advancement. So it's like in, to me, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. I and know. who knows where you go from here, man? And it's going to happen so fast. I think about my kids' life. You know, dude. Uh, like, well, this is why I good. think about my kids. I'm like, where the fuck? Uh, like, where the fuck are we letting them teach teaching them this bullshit now? Like during the lockdown, yeah. it became really obvious because I could hear my I could hear my daughter in lesson. You mm-hmm. know, and she's 11 years old, and she was 10 years old during the lockdown. And I'm hearing the stuff they're teaching them, and I'm like, huh? What is this? Like what 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 a waste of time, you know. It's like that. There's this TED talk with this guy. Let me dig it out. I'm going to tell you about this. If you've not seen it, if you've seen the TED talk with the teacher who talks about dance, no, I haven't. So he's about this kid who wants to learn about dance, right? Um, I've got it here. There, Sir Ken Robinson. You should check out Sir Ken Robinson's TED talk. And he's essentially he's saying, we look how quick we've like technology has evolved, and the stuff we're Mm -hmm. teaching the kids now. Not going to need yeah. by the time they. We don't even know what they're going to need. Like my daughter yeah. finishes school in seven years, right? Where are we going to be in seven years? Yeah. You know, which 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 industries won't exist anymore? But it does all weird me out, Brady. I'm like, there's a lot of this weirds me out. I, I, AI weirds me out because I don't know how dangerous it gets. Uh, the yep. Neuralink stuff weirds me out because I'm like, will mm-hmm. we get to that point where you can just download any kind of information into your brain and learn anything? If you can. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean we can all learn everything or does it come down to who can afford it? Like, there's real right. moral questions. It's like, you know, if you're rich, you can basically download all the information and be uh, kind of a superhuman. We end up a bit like uh, like in that film Limitless. That weirds mm-hmm. me out. Uh, there's so much stuff that weirds me out. Almost in some ways, I'm like, I'm starting to think about wanting to escape from all of this, which is weird because I'm involved mm-hmm. in Bitcoin. I was like, do you know Alana Joy? Mm-mm. No, so she, I've, I've been talking to, I've been in a couple of clubhouse rooms with her and I've started just like last night we were talking on, um, we're DMing each other and just talking about mm-hmm. going, going and buying a bit of land and building a house in the middle of nowhere and getting away from all this shit. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want all this. It weirds yeah. me out, dude. Yeah, it totally weirds me out, man. I mean, we're not ready for this. It's happening too fast. No. We're not, I mean, we are these, the, the product of, of these, this old paradigm. Um, and there's go, something else is coming. Um, that's completely different and it's scary, you know? And I, I, again, like I'm scared for my kids cause I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it means. Um, it's one reason that I think we need Bitcoin, uh, because it, it you know, ha- having so much power uh, and purchasing power in the hands of so few people and wealth inequality is a, you know, almost a direct product in my opinion of, of fiat money. Uh, and I mean, obviously there's like, you know, there are people who are going to earn more money than others, even in a in a Bitcoin world. But I think that the drastic wealth inequality that we have is, um, you know, in large part due to to fiat money. And I think if we had uh, a fairer money, then we'd be able to, you know, kind of distribute these technologies more fairly. Um, but at the same time, these technologies will be more accessible more quickly to people 
if we had deflationary money to pair along with the you know deflationary technology, the technology that's advancing exponentially. Um, so all of that stuff becomes more accessible to people if we don't have an inflationary money that's fighting against that. Um, so that's, I think, a moral case for Bitcoin too. Yeah, let me ask you something. Do you, okay, so I'm not completely sold on full hyper-Bitcoinization mm-hmm. whereby Bitcoin becomes the unit of account yet. Yes, it might happen, but I'm just not completely sold on it yet. And I, I can't remember if it was with me or another interview. I heard Nick Carter talking about that he still thinks Bitcoin will exist a bit like gold alongside sovereign currencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, do we, need a, do we need a better money or do we need a better base money system? Like, do we need, the, the, do we need hyper-Bitcoinization where we only spend in Bitcoin as a unit account? Or do we just we do we need a system like Bitcoin, which backs our sovereign currencies, which creates that level of fairness and responsibility? Or or is it does it not matter? Is it either or? Yeah, I think it's either or. I mean, I can definitely see I think there will certainly be currencies built on top of Bitcoin. And I think some of them will be sovereign. I think some of them will be corporate. I think some of them will be uh, you know, independent, like uh, and, and self-sovereign, like like the Lightning Network, and yeah, I, I think people will choose. You know, the market will choose their preferred money, and I think uh, you know those currencies that are built on top of Bitcoin will be used for exchange. But then people are going to want to settle their savings into Bitcoin, you know, as as much as possible. I would say. Or big onto the Lightning Network, which is which is pegged to Bitcoin in a, in a trustless way. So yeah, and I think I think what happens is that we have a a, a kind of a delocalization right? or a decentralization uh, also of of uh, of the way we govern ourselves. And so there's mm-hmm. this word I came across that I like. It's a globalization, which is kind of a combination of globalization and localization. So we we have this global economy. Uh, that's based on Bitcoin and uh, you know internet commerce. At the very least, Bitcoin is the base money of the internet, and you know most more and more commerce, and I think most in the future will happen on the internet. So that's how Bitcoin really kind of wormed its way into becoming the base money. Is it's you know the base money of the internet, um, and then the idea is that we can we have we are empowered then to you know basically kind of defund the nation state because we're going to put more of our money into this self-sovereign money and more of our wealth there and kind of make the nation state less powerful. And I think we're going to move back toward more toward like a republic style structure that the country was founded on, this country was founded on. And I think even more so we'll will devolve or like kind of move down into these much more local communities which is where humans naturally want to be, right? Like we grew up roaming uh, the plains of Africa with you know Dunbar's number like 150 people or so, and that's like yeah, the man. group that could that could be sustained, right? So I I, I think the will uh, uh, Bitcoin will allow us to sort of decentralize the way we live as well, which I think is a good thing, something I'm looking forward to. Um, yeah, I mean it's just it's going to change everything. But the thing I keep thinking about is like what's the bigger force for change, right? The money, which I am absolutely convinced would change the way society works, uh, you know, over the next hundreds of years. But the, I think the greater force for change is just technology. And we're, we're just at this point where things are going to get wild, man. 
Um, yeah. And so that's where I don't know. I'll tell you a couple of things. A couple of things are on my mind where I'm like not entirely there yet and keep prodding away. Okay. So one of them is like with this idea of governance. Like I'm doing this sovereign individual stuff with uh, Breedlove. Mm-hmm. I'm working my way through the book. I'm working way th- my way through his essays. I'm st- I'm not convinced on this entire breakdown of the nation state. It might happen, it might not. I kind of yeah. think the sovereign individual is, is, I see it as somebody who just is able to roam in the shadows of all nation states, just drift around mm-hmm. the world, go where they want to go, and just almost be globally off grid. You know, just that's why I think the sovereign individual is right now. I don't know if you ever get to a state where, where a nation completely collapses and, you know, we, we move to this more kind of anarchist society. And I think even if you do, I think it becomes more like countries maybe become more like companies. Mm-hmm. A yeah. bit like... But but the problem I have with that is that this you're still, you're still centralizing power. And in some ways, you're centralizing power in a different way. And I don't know if it's better or not. You know, does it become more mm-hmm. authoritarian and... You know, and do we see this kind of breakdown of democracy as this kind of like failed idea? Is that better or is that worse? I I can't really get my head around that, and it is something I'm yeah. thinking about. You know, I listened to Balaji on Tim Ferriss this week. Um, you know, and he was mm-hmm. talking a lot about Singapore. You know, Singapore is a, you know, an efficiently run, successful nation, but it is also essentially kind of authoritarian. Um, you know, is is that better? Is that worse? Is democracy a complete failure? He talked Balaji talks about ascending and descending nations. You know, he talks about the US being a descending nation. It's you know, it's a well, you would argue one of the most free countries in the world. But but democracy is is weird in America right now, right? <laughs> you know, so what happens there? And then the other thing I can't get my head around is like, you know, you know, you know how this kind of art imitates life. Uh if you play computer games that are set kind of 300 years in the future or watch films in the future, the world ends up being split into two, right? It tends to be the red and the blue team. It always tends to be like these two armies. And, you know, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember is it, if it's like Total Recall or The Running Man, which was similar like that. But I, 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 might, I might be like... But I, I, I'm wondering if we end up going down that route because I don't know if you hyper-Bitcoinization... If, if China goes through a hyper-Bitcoinization... I don't know if they're they're too strong as an authoritarian regime with too much power and strength to ever fall to hyperbitcoinization, uh, and, mm-hmm. and you also see now, you know, the we're seeing the kind of U.S. it's like dollar reserve status is slipping away. We're seeing uh, Russia, this kind of axis of Russia, China, Iran, you know, starting to do their own deals. Uh, you could see Brazil fall in line. You know, perhaps even India, and I'm starting to see: Are we going to see like uh, uh, this kind of diversion of two worlds? Half the world kind of adopts and accepts Bitcoin, and this other half doesn't. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and I don't know if I'm on like if I'm on my own thinking about this, but they're two kind of broad concepts I cannot escape f- from myself at the moment. Yeah, I mean that's some. Re- I mean, Heavy. really good thoughts, and yeah, yeah. I, lo- I mean, I love thinking about this stuff too. I, I don't think that. Honestly, and and you know there'll be plenty of Bitcoiners out there that that disagree vehemently with this, but I don't think that we'll live in some sort of like libertarian anarchist society. I think there will be, no, like I you don't. say, pockets of the world like that. 
but there's there's efficiencies to be gained and comforts to be gained and security to be gained by having a state and that's how the state you know began was like collective security uh you know to protect wealth of a of a certain you know geographic or like social collective of people and um i think what we'll see is less economic control of the state less economic centralization which changes the nature of the state a lot right i mean does a lot of things it makes it makes war much less likely because it's hard to fund international war uh it's it makes it uh you know much like you know social security programs and stuff like that um will would be less harder to, you know less uh easy to fund uh is that good is that bad right i think personally it it's 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 a good thing um i think that that sort of those sort of decisions should be more local. Um, I think that we should, Bitcoin will empower individuals to almost sort of shop around to find the way that they want to live. And I think there will be Californias and people that want to live like that. And there will be Texases and people who want to live like that. And Bitcoin will allow us to, uh, you know, not have to live under this sort of massive, uh, increasingly centralized nation state that is increasingly centralized because mainly they have the power to print. So I think it will it will definitely lead to a decentralization of power, but I don't think like the state's going away completely and we're going to live in some like Mad Max world or whatever. Even in Mad Max, like there were, you know, like little like barter town, you know, that came together and collective of people that sort of formed this this way to live together. That's never going to change. That's never going to go away. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, that there's this truth, this moral truth of uh, the idea of centralization or what, what I like to call the will to power, like the will to have power over someone. And like decentralization, which is sort of based on the will to empower other people, empower individuals, right? And so I think that societies that seek or individuals that seek power over others will build the mechanisms of their own destruction. Eventually, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's fragile. It's, and, and I think that can you know, I, society can I or individuals- you, yeah, you yeah. say that seek seek power, but could it yeah. be a case that it's accidental power as well? So, you know, could there be a scenario whereby just I don't know, I'm hypothesizing off the top of my head, but just say a group of Bitcoiners get together and they're like, do you know what? Fuck this shit. Let's buy an island and go and do our own thing. You know, yeah. this island has, you know, starts off with a few hundred people and then ends up say like twenty thousand people, but you still have to have a way of organizing these people, right? You know, perhaps yeah. you know you. There's not to say you're going to have 20,000 people who are, who won't commit some form of crime. You know, what are the crimes? What are the laws? How does that island govern itself? Oh, shit, well, we need to have rules. We need to have a judiciary. We need our own police force. You know, how do we vote in the leader of... Like, you can th- you can theorize about some kind of, like, utopian idea, but can you accidentally rebuild the same structures? And when you accidentally rebuild the same structures, do you accidentally put people in position of power? And can you know, can that power then still corrupt? Like, and the reason I bring this up is because um, I always find it important to question ideas. And I've never fully got away from the idea of the state. And the problem with that is, like, in the Bitcoin world, you just get, oh, you're a fucking status cuck, blah, 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 blah. But the, uh, all I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to do is theorize is that that perhaps, perhaps whatever we think of the state, like, whatever you think of liberty and freedom... Is it something you just can't get away from? It's like a naturally occurring phenomenon of how people organize themselves. 
And also, in some ways, despite all the shit things about the state, is it a net good? Like, yes, if you're one person and your belief is ultimate liberty and freedom, nobody has any power of me, then you're absolutely going to disagree with us. But is there a scenario whereby, like, when you just weigh it up, having some form of state is a net good? And I'm going to say something now that's going to sound really controversial, but I mean I mean it with, like, intellectual honesty. There's a really interesting conversation between Eric Weinstein and Brett Weinstein, and it was following the death of George Floyd. And Eric Weinstein said something that sounds highly controversial, and a lot of people are going to lose their shit when they hear it. But he said it's actually a good thing that the state has a monopoly on violence, because even though the state can fuck it up, like by having that monopoly on violence, at least you have a, like a, I'm not going to explain it how he did, but at least you have that kind of like central control of violence rather than full Mad Max anarchy, and I think what he's trying to get at is that we should never approve of uh, state violence, you know. But by having that monopoly of violence, perhaps net violence drops. Have I explained myself in a decent way? Yeah, yeah, you have, and that's that's definitely interesting. Um, I think the it comes down. I'm going to get so much hate for this dude just even bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I mean. My my point being is like Brady. This is like, what I, I like want... about you. No, this is what I like though. I think it's important to bring this stuff up and talk about it because you know we we don't want to we want to continue to question ourselves too. And I think Bitcoiners do have um, you know there is an ethic in in Bitcoin uh, that emerges uh, that is uh, because of the properties of Bitcoin. The kind of I feel like there's these emergent sort of ethics uh, from it. And one of them is you know we just need we need to question things. Uh, we need to not trust. We need to verify. And so I think it's important to bring this stuff up. I think what it comes down to is the ability to choose, right? And I think that optionality, and that really comes from having controlling your the resources you generate. That is the base of this, right? And and not yeah. allowing a central party to control the resources that you're generating. It's time theft. It's it's the WTF happened 1971 chart, the top yeah, of dude. the top of the website. It's wages go flatline, productivity continues. So with Bitcoin, you get to, you know, reap the rewards of your increasing productivity over time and, and hold on to it. Mm-hmm. That gives you the optionality. And there, there will be, like I was saying, I think there's gonna be states that will, uh, you know, value a much more central, centralized control. Um, and people will ap- appreciate that and go there and they'll have centralized uh, militaries and, and they'll feel safer and, um, you know, they'll have a, a centralized education system and, and whatever and, and healthcare. And that's the way those people want to live. And that's fine. They have that option. They can pay. The, they can pay their taxes in Bitcoin. They can do, do everything. They can live in a way that we that we like seems familiar now. But you won't have this monoculture of of the way nations or or areas geographic areas are governed. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's there's going to be competition against different types of the way societies uh, live. And I think we'll figure out uh, through that competition, like what works well to protect yourself, uh, in a, you know, protect your physical self, like what yeah. works well, is it going to be a nation state that does that? Is it going to be private, uh, corporations or companies is going to be like, uh, collectives that come together and, and share in their, in their security. So, uh, and I, and I think that because Bitcoin isn't physical, that also reduces the, you know, propensity for physical violence because you, you can't with distributed multisig. You can't just come and take my gold and run away. 
um, you know, you'd have to go through a much, you know, you know, more rigor, more, uh, a harder process to get my Bitcoin than you would to come in here and take my gold jewelry or something. Um, yeah. so, so, you so know, that's Bitcoin, a disincentivized too. So what, I guess what you're really saying is like Bitcoin just brings better rules and a better discipline to society. Like, you know, even if the state doesn't go, even if we don't lose the state, we certainly change the role of the state. It's a bit like, uh, I think I've talked about this before, uh, you know, you you get you earn whatever you earn every month uh, working at Swan, and you have a budget, and you have a house, and you have expenditure, right? And if you want a bigger mm-hmm. house, you can take out a, a loan. And if you can't pay your mortgage, the ba- the bank will come and take your house. Um, we kind of want the if there is going to be a state, if we have to accept the state, we at least want the, them to play by the same rules. But they don't. The rules they play by is that you know they can borrow money, and if they fuck up, they can just steal ours. And that's, I yep, think, what exactly. that pisses everybody off is that there's no consequence to their mistakes. And they are also tend to be removed from the problems because they have another incentive themselves, which is re- to retain power. Um, yep. On a Bitcoin standard where the government cannot print money or the state cannot print money, then they have to essentially balance their own books. So then they become a service provider. So perhaps perhaps we don't lose the state, or perhaps there's a transitionary period where the state reorganizes itself. itself. Right. Yep. Um, but, and it's a, I think the other thing which doesn't help me is that you're in a very different situation in the US. You have that optionality to go from California to Wyoming or to Texas, right? And have those very different rules. Like in the UK, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you go, you've got the same fucking rules. I like I can move to Manchester or Leeds or Grimsby or Hull or wherever the fuck I move, I'm going to pay the same tax rates. I'm going to have to live by the exact same rules. My only optionality is to leave the country, which, by the way, I'm definitely considering. And I kind of want to go to Texas, mm-hmm. <laughs> just because everyone's going to Texas. <laughs> uh, we don't have that optionality. So I, I keep thinking of like the Balaji 10,000 city thesis, whereby I, I need to be able to compare cities globally. So it's, a mm-hmm. bi- it's And it's a bigger challenge, right? Like yeah. if I could just move to London and pay lower tax, I would, and I still see my kids. Like it's not an issue. Moving to another right. country, I don't have that same optionality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's what's going to happen, man. I think we're just going to see uh, a less monoculture of of the way that we you know choose to live and more optionality. And that was the idea behind this you know this country, the United States and the, and the Republic, and mm-hmm. uh, you know having some sort of competition between states and citizens are can can choose which uh, set of rules they want to live by or they 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 prefer um and we've this country has slowly kind of over time just become more and more centralized and you know the, the the founders of the country understood the risks of central banking to the this idea of the of, of a republic um you know like George Washington wrote a letter I think it was to to uh, someone in Delaware, one of the leaders in Delaware, and he said, he said, paper money has had the effect uh, on your state as it ever will. Um, you know, it will ruin your commerce. It will oppress people. Uh, and then I think he said, like, open up the door to every kind of fraud or injustice or something like that. And so, you know, these, these ideas uh, were being debated. The threats were understood. And, uh, and, and sure enough, you know, and we, f- we fought battles against central banking for 150 years until 1913, you know, when it, when the Federal Reserve was finally established and took hold. So that's really what it is. It comes down to is this, if we can just decentralize the money, then we will, we will have a, just a, a lot 
more options on how we want to live. And I think that's a fair way to do things. Um, and I think it'll be better uh, for, for people. And we can live the way we want. It'll, it, we can take our money with us. We, don't, can't, we won't have a nation state that an authoritarian, they'll say like, like, you know, Jan Pritzker, he understood Bitcoin, you know, at a deep level, a visceral level, because his family escaped from, from Russia, you know, as, as a Jewish family. Uh, and, and they, because of capital controls, got to leave with $100 worth of, you know, money in their pocket and come to the United States. And they, you know, all of their wealth was just, was just stolen. So they didn't have that optionality. That, that's, you know, the reality for a lot of people around the world and us in the, you know, the UK and the US, and we spend most of our time talking about like, you know, we want to, we want to we invest in this thing. It's a speculative asset. It's the most asymmetric, you know, investment in human history. And uh, we're going to get in early on this global-based money and it's going to make us all rich. But, you know, Bitcoin's being used. Alex Gladstein, I love talking to him about this stuff by Dude. so many people around the world, right? For uh, reasons other than watching number go up. So I think, uh, I think Jan's book is massively underrated. And I know it's, yeah. and it's, I'm saying that knowing how much and uh, how well people think of it. And I was really glad to hear Nick Carter bring it up in uh, his interview with Lex Friedman. But I, I actually got, I'm going to guess people think uh, I'm just saying this to be a dick, but I, I think it's a more important book than the Bitcoin standard. I actually think it's probably the first book people should read with regards to Bitcoin. Uh, I think he did a fantastic job with it. Um, yeah. And uh, it's a great intro. promote it. Yeah, I think it's such a brilliant intro, and he's it's such a great. I think I think it's because he's quite a quite a chilled guy. He's not like pushy. Yeah, uh, I don't think yeah. he's pushed the book enough, so I might do it on his behalf. But I think his book's fucking amazing. He's given it away for free now, man. Swanbitcoin dot com slash free book. Yeah, and yeah. anybody can go there and grab it. We have it on PDF. We got a Kindle version. We got the audio version by Guy Swan. Uh, oh, so it's dude. it's out there for free. <laughs> For anybody, Guy Swan should narrate every. They need to create a Guy Swan uh, bot now that can read every book. <laughs> I yeah, love- dude, I tweeted that like two years ago. I was like, all I want for Christmas is a bot that reads my Twitter feed to me in Guy Swan's voice. <laughs> <laughs> did you, dude? Listen, yeah. I, uh, I, I twice did uh, Gigi's book. I did Gigi's book, and uh, then I did it again. And I just like just hearing his voice because he's got that like twang in it. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. just sounds so good. So I mean, I don't know Southern how he does comfort. It, Southern comfort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? Jan gave me a copy of his book. But if he's gonna given it away from me, I'm gonna I'm still gonna buy it again. Yeah, man. Have you had Jan on the show? I, do you know what? I don't think I have. Now I feel like a buck. And he and he gave me a copy of the book. Uh, I think it was at Tone yeah, Vases. You... Do you know? I've got to that point. I don't. It might sound like a dick. I sometimes can't remember if I've had because I've done three hundred and thirty shows now. Sometimes I don't even remember if I've had everyone. Damn, on. you've done. It's been that many now. That's crazy. Yeah, three hundred thirty. Yeah, Maybe if you haven't yet, you should have him on. He's you know he's got a lot of good stories to tell, um, and just you know, really yeah. understands this thing from like economic and technical perspective and stuff. So yeah, I think I think reading the Bitcoin Standard gets you like kind of more of the economic history and, and context, mm. and then. The uh, and then inventing Bitcoin gives you some of like the reasons why uh, you know from a human rights perspective Bitcoin is important to Jan individually. But then just goes through how the system works, and so that's the the one two punch I usually recommend. You know, is like learn about the money, learn about how the system works, and why it's important. And those those two books are a good complement. Well, I'm gonna have to get Jan on now. Let's see. I'm gonna let's see if Ben. You know, Ben's working with me now. Ben Brentis. Yo, man, I love Ben. You know that. That was yeah, a, that was a good pickup. 
dude. Well, I met him at a bar in, Austin, in uh, Boston. He just came up to me and uh, immediately loved the guy. And uh, so hopefully he's listening right now. Ben, make sure you get Jan book. Let's see, let's see if this works. Let's get Jan on the show and talk about it. But no, it's such a great book. Uh, I always tell people to read that. I always tell them to read the Safe, uh, Safety and Bitcoin Standard, but I tell them to rip out his art propaganda because I fundamentally disagree with his distaste of modern art but that's my thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my I, war I, with Sleaford Dean I was right I wasn't a big fan of that chapter either but you know yeah. it is what it is just just because it's it's such an absolute opinion I'm just like ah you know like not all art is a banana taped to a wall or like you know some paint splashed on a canvas or something like there's some pretty good modern art out there but I, I, I get it yeah. whatever he's trying to make his point you know well, he makes the point valid in some ways when you because you know there is some bullshit art out there, and and but also sure. the, the the point I have is like art is a reflection on life, right? So if if we're at a time of like uh, if we're at a time like living on a fiat standard of you know high time preference, and therefore we've got you know crap architecture and you know yep. products which are just shit, like art reflects that. But that, but yeah, art's doing true. its, you know, art, art is also therefore doing its job of reflecting uh, life and uh, yeah, modern culture. So I, I, yeah, I would buy, I would buy anyone that book they want, but I would rip out that chapter. And safety and hates me. For yeah, that. I mean, he definitely has a point, right? Like, I mean, there's there was definitely a lot more art and architecture that happened in the Renaissance, for instance, that was much longer term, like took a lot more time to produce. Um, and that was, you know, because again, like we discussed, like, you know, you had, a, had some money that would respect your time and, and give you the confidence that you could invest that time, uh, in something that, that wasn't going to pay off for a long time. Do you always think it's that? Do you think also it just, it was a different time, different egos, you know, just, it was just a different time. Did it necessarily I mean, I think it, just the money? I think it was, no, and definitely not necessarily just the money. I just think it was a part of it. Um, but despite that. I still think there's some great modern art out there, and I still think there's yeah. some great modern architecture out there. Uh, it's just, it's just let. I think it's, you know, it's kind of in despite of the money, uh, and the way the way the situation is. I think it maybe during the Renaissance it, it was a bit easier to kind of like, you know, create those long term projects than it is now. But yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, it, I, I don't agree with the kind of absolutist tone uh, that that chapter takes. Uh, and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, especially when I read it the first time. Although I, I do have a more of an appreciation for it now than I did when I first read it. So, I think I I I'll, I'll, it. I'll admit that. Uh, and I understand where it's coming from, but I disagree with it. But, but do you know what? Like, even though me and Safe Dina like hate each other, um, I actually do appreciate his book. <laughs> I think his book is it is a good book, and I think people should read it. Um, I just yeah, there's a lot a lot of his stuff I don't buy, but like whatever, man. Like we're all different. Yeah, we're all we else. Um, exactly cool man well listen you're one of those people I can just talk to I don't even need like I've got all my questions here and I haven't looked at them fucking once I've just I just <laughs> I just started with hollow FOMO and we went from there you're just so easy to talk to I could literally talk to you for hours is there anything else you do want to talk about that I've not asked you about oh man I don't know we've been through quite a bit uh, and yeah. this has been a, a lot of fun man um, are you going to Miami you think you're going to be able to make it <sighs> Well, I'm I'm meant to be MC in the event, uh, so yeah. uh, so I was going to go to Austin next week for Bit Devs. Uh, right. I put the application in, and uh, I can travel th for work. Like, so there's there's two things: can I leave the UK, and then can I get in the US? Now we have a law in the UK now that says you can't leave. It sounds very authoritarian, and it kind of is. But we, we you know, we've been trying to. 
manage this COVID situation. I'm not going to get into the rights or wrongs of that right now. Let's just say the government has a set of rules. We had a lot of people who were leaving, uh, say this for work, and they're really just influencers going on holiday because they just didn't want to be stuck in the UK and, and they're risking bringing COVID back into the country. So they put in this new rule. If you traveled without uh, proper reason, then it, you could get up to 10 years in jail. On the face Shit. of it, it sounds super authoritarian. It's really just a way of saying, look, stop fucking off and bringing COVID back into the country, right? So they've put that rule in place. But if you've got a proper business reason, you can travel. Now, I do have a proper business reason. I'm MC of the conference, right? I need to be there. That's, you know, I think is a proper business reason. Um, yeah. Uh, sure. So the next thing is, can I get into the country? So I uh, applied to get in for bit devs and I got rejected. The US government said it's not a good enough reason. So my expectation is they'll do the same for Miami, now, if nothing changes between now and the middle of May, so I've got kind of six weeks, there is a chance that the US removes the UK off their list, uh, of their red list, because we've got a successful vaccination program, our infection rates are low, our deaths are low, I'll probably be vaccinated by then. But if it isn't, I have to go somewhere for two weeks beforehand. So it looks like I'd have to go somewhere like Antigua, because I can fly direct, wait there for two weeks, and then fly to Miami. If I have to do gotcha. it, I'm doing it. I'm not, I'm not fucking missing Miami, but like... I've yeah, got right? a right Good. old bunch of bullshit hoops to jump through. Uh, but worth but it, I'll man. be there, I think. Yeah, dude. Listen, man. everyone's going to be there. We'll, oh, yeah. We'll hang out. Uh, Swan's going to have a dome outside, um, like a air-conditioned <laughs> dome. It's going to be a dome. It's going to be the, the Swan Lounge well, like dome. In, like in the Simpsons movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be wild, man. We're gonna set up a studio in there. You got to come in and and uh, hang out and record it. Maybe even record a show, do an interview from from Let's our it, studio if you want. Yeah. Let's do a so, swan special. Let's get like all of you fuckers on. There's like ten of you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be good, man. That'd be a good time. So it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to hanging out with everybody, including you, man. Let's we can sit down in the pub and and uh, you know just talk for hours. I might do another. I might do another because you came to the one in uh, New. Was it New York or San Fran? I can't. San Francisco, wasn't it? San Fran. Yeah. 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 What beer did too? So I might do what beer did three. Get one of my sponsors to pay for it. But no, look, I want to be there. There you go. I tell you what. This this, the the one thing is, if you wanted to take out Bitcoin, you just need to take out Miami that week. I know people have been saying that. Well, you remember we were at at the beefsteak in 2019, and it was it was all the it was the you know there's that picture that I love like. Yeah, Marty and Matt and Pierre and you and me and Gary Leland, uh, Stefan. And it was just like, I, I, I took that picture. Or we, somebody took it. I, I posted it and it was just like Bitcoin podcaster centralization, you know? So if, you, yeah. <laughs> if that like building collapsed or something, it'd be over. Um, you say that we'd have to, there's so many others now. We've got, you know, I've been listening to a lot of John Vallis recently. He's such a fucking good interviewer. Right? He's uh, a baller, man. I've, yeah, and, I, and I'd clashed with him before, but I've, been chatting, chatting to him a bit more recently. He does a good job. I also think Anita Posh does a, I think that's how you pronounce her surname, does a really good job. Mm-hmm. And she's underrated. So. And it's it's just good to have, a, you know, a woman amongst us uh, with her opinions. Absolutely. Um, and her stuff. I think she does a great job. Um, I think so too. I, think I like her. I think we're blessed to have so many. I mean, Max and Stacey kill it, of course. And it's just so many of us, but it's a good thing, man. I always like talking to you. I'm so sorry it's taken episode three, what, 325 you were, or 335. We should have done this a long time ago. It's all good, bro. It's all good. I'm glad just, we were able to do it now. And it's not It's not like we haven't been talking. We've been in touch. I know, I know. For, just, you know, so. I just had to get big enough, dude, to get, get you on, man. 
get your people to allow you on. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I mean, I, I got to say though, I, I respect what you built, man. I, I tweeted this out the other day at you, yeah. like respect the hustle, man, and love to see uh, what it's grown into and see like, you know, Bitcoiners, you know, getting getting paid to Bitcoin more and more and, and picking up Ben is a big deal, man. He's such a, yeah. such a sharp dude and really cool. So... Well, I tell you the big difference having him on board, right? If you want to come on the show now, like if you used to want to come on the show, you could email me and you'd be on next week. Uh, if you yeah. want to come on the show now, you're not going to get on until uh, till June. Like we're fully booked. Like he has booked us out with solid nice. guests all the way through to June. And we're having to turn down things because we just can't fit it in. Um, he's prepping the interviews. He's just doing a he's doing a solid job. But no, it's, 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 I feel very fortunate. Like the show... Um, with number it's number eleven in the U.S. investing chart. When you think about it for a moment, like take a step back, you've got yeah. within four spaces, you've got me, Pomp, and we study billionaires. And like Preston's doing a lot of Bitcoin Preston. stuff now. There's like yep. three of there's three or four Bitcoin shows. Well, I, you've got Peter Schiff there as well, which is essentially a Bitcoin show because he doesn't shut the fuck up about Bitcoin. <laughs> Big shout so Peter Schiff. <laughs> is, is that who's on your shelf now, man? Yeah, that's Peter Schiff up that's there, awesome. keeping an eye on the block yeah. clock for me. Um, but 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 that's a you know you, you these are in, you know up in the investing chart. There's a lot of people in there talking about Bitcoin. People want to hear about it. Um, yeah. So it's super cool, yeah. man. It's really cool. It's really cool. All right, brother. Awesome. Well, listen. All right, brother. Good to talk to you. Um, we Likewise. will. It won't be uh, it won't be 330 shows till we do this again. Maybe maybe we'll do something in Miami. Maybe you, me, and Yan. We'll sit down, maybe you, me, Yan, and Breed Love or whatever. We'll sit down and we'll come, we'll come up with something special. Hell yeah, that sounds fantastic. Let's do that. All right, dude. Well, listen, you, you stay cool, stay safe. You know, if you ever need anything, you just ping me and I will do anything for you. Same, man, same. Appreciate it. Thanks for all you do for Bitcoin, man. And uh, thanks for this conversation. And I can't wait to hang out in Miami, man. It's going to be wild. It's going to be great. Yeah, a lot of hangovers. No, no shit. Hang out, hangovers. How cool is Brady? Brady's so cool. I love talking to Brady. He's such a smart dude, man. Okay, I definitely feel the hodl FOMO. Timing the market tops and bottoms is one of the hardest things in Bitcoin. And the idea of selling too early and never getting that Bitcoin back terrifies me. I've screwed up my Bitcoin so many times in the past, especially in 2017. Shit, if I, uh, if I hadn't screwed that up, I would be a very rich person now. But anyway, we are where we are. And so much of this macro environment has changed that I think it's just it's really, really time to just hodl on. Hodl on tight. Dan Held would tell you the same. Just hodl on. Also, with the big money institutions on board, maybe we won't see another 80% drop. You know, I get so many emails about the show, and a lot of people are always saying, when do you think the top's going to be? Pete, when are you going to sell something? I was like, I don't know. I asked Willie. He, don't, he doesn't know. He's got an idea. Who knows? But I don't want to end up with a smaller stack in four years' time that I've got now. So I don't know. Maybe we just need to hodl on forever. But I will definitely be hodling through this market. I may a little, little tiny bit go at one point. Maybe I'll take a holiday. Maybe I'll give some away. But really, I'm going to be hodling 95%, maybe higher of my stack. Anyway, did you enjoy this one? If you do have any questions about it, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, you can jump into my Telegram channel. And everyone who supports the show, big thanks. As I said in the intro, I have the number one invest in podcasting in Great Britain right now, which is which is utterly, utterly fucking stupid when you think about it. Just like some moron in Bedford asking questions and it's, a, it's ahead of the BBC and shit like that. But thank you so much. Everyone who supported the show, I can't believe it. It's a bit weird. It's very weird. But anyway, it is what it is. 
People obviously want to hear about Bitcoin. But if you do want to support the show, if you like the show, you think it deserves it, can you go and leave it a nice, lovely five-star review on Apple Podcasts? I think that helps with the ranking. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, that is very, very cool. Outside of that, as I've said, Defiance, my other podcast, is taking a two-month break. It will be relaunching in June under the Hijack brand. I'm launching this media brand called Hijack Media. So everything apart from the Bitcoin show is going to be going under that. My news service, Never Edit, is going to become Hijack News. But if you do want to sign up to that, you can do right now at neveredit.com. That is carrying on as we speak. Anyway, have a great week. I've got another banging show coming out on Friday. Love you all, and I'll see you all then. <laughs>